Hi guys, welcome back to another interview episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. I'm Alia, and today we're joined by a special guest, Rachel Forbes. Thank you so much, Alia. It's such an honor to be here. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so my name is Rachel Forbes again, and I was adopted from Busan, South Korea. I was adopted at about three months old. Um, I do believe that my birth mother, she had already connected with um, SWS in Seoul, South Korea. And SWS is stands for Social Welfare Society, um, which is just an organization, an adoption agency that helps low-income families, specifically birth mothers, place their children for adoption. And I currently live in Connecticut, actually where I was raised predominantly and, and have lived for the most of my life. And I'm currently working as a therapist in private practice, also in Connecticut. Really excited to have you on, Rachel, and to hear more of your story, because just talking to you a little bit beforehand, and as well as also reading uh, a bio that you posted on subtle Asian adoptee traits, I was like, I really want to find out your story. Oh, thank you so much. And I've actually, I'm so happy and excited to be a part of that subtle adoptee traits group. I just only recently discovered it. And it's such an amazing community. I feel so grateful to be able to hear everyone's story a little bit, at least get these kind of intros and tidbits into, you know, who they are, where they're from, what their stories have been. So mm -hmm. I'm, I really appreciate your reaching out. I'm excited to share my story. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting because that's actually what I was going to kind of start off with you of how is growing up like for you? Because I remember in your description, you kind of mentioned that you had some struggles connecting with the adoption community, just where based on like where you're growing up and um, family. Yeah, which is also kind of interesting to reflect on because my family, my adoptive family, ever since I was little, um, they've been so communicative and so clear about my adoption. Has never been any mystery or question about, you know, the fact that I was adopted and my parents have always been open to responding to and answering any questions I may have had. They've always welcomed all of my curiosities, which has always felt really safe. Although what I will say is that I did grow up in a predominantly white Jewish community. I mean, I went to a Jewish day school that was I think both my brother, myself, and maybe one other family were the only children of color. And so, oh, wow. yeah, but also quite frankly, and you know what, maybe perhaps it's just exclusively to the community that I have been exposed to and that I was raised in. It's predominantly white. Um, I know very, very few other Jewish people who are also of color. And so it, it actually, like, I guess, culturally came to no surprise to me that I was, you know, my brother and I and this perhaps one other family were the only children of color in the school. I mean, my appearance was always made apparent to me, right? So that, you know, the difference in how I looked, you know, why are your eyes like that? Why is your nose like that? That that difference mm -hmm. was made very clear to me. I remember even as like in kindergarten, right? In early elementary school. Yeah, it's definitely hard because at that time you're just a kid and you kids just want to fit in and make friends and it's hard when they make you feel different and you kind of have to look and you're like, oh, I am different. Why? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think my parents made an effort to connect me with other adoptees, although there really weren't very many families um, who had also adopted children of color. Um, 
And one thing that I'm finding I'm reflecting a little bit more on now is that my parents, I also didn't feel like they had very many friends of color, specifically friends who were Asian. Um, and so I really mm. don't think that I had any exposure, I won't say any, but very minimal exposure to um, other Asian children, which I wish I did have. I think that that would help normalize a bit how I looked because I, I, I kind of always have felt othered. Yeah, definitely understandable. And like you said, it's hard when there is no one else around because then you just feel like kind of the peacock out of a bunch of doves. You're like, mm, something's different here. Yeah. So I also, I do feel grateful though that I had my brother um, who was also Korean and adopted from Busan. And so I did have him, although it was really just my brother and me. Mm -hmm. which, of course, in some ways, perhaps wasn't enough for me to feel deeply connected to my Asianness, to my Koreanhood, to that part of my identity. Mm -hmm. It's very lonely. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that. I mean, I've, I was fortunate to have a lot of amazing friends. I am naturally pretty social and I love people, <laughs> hence mm -hmm. probably why I've gotten into the work that I'm in. Um, so I've always had friends, I've always had connection, but specifically with Asian roots or with um, Korean culture. I think my parents made efforts to connect me to Korean culture. I would go to these sort of, these I don't really know what they're called. Oh, they were called like picnics, I suppose. Korean picnics mm -hmm. that were hosted by, I want to say the program was Casey um, through Yale. I remember going to Yale campus when I was little and being surrounded by all of these other adoptive families and all of these um, Korean, I imagine, college students who you would sort of connect with one of the college students that were, were kind of like your big brother or sister for the day. And oh. Yeah, you would try like Korean food and there would be beautiful Korean dance and sort of incorporating a lot of or introducing a lot of the Korean culture to us as adoptees. But that felt like the only thing <laughs> that was connecting for mm -hmm. me, um, which was also when I was very young and I didn't fully understand and there wasn't so there were there were like these small communities, but then I would leave that picnic and there was no other continued connection after that. What other kind of like resources did you use to learn more about your identity or kind of connect more about it since you didn't really have as many people? And, you know, when you're young, you don't really use like there's no social media. I very sadly and regretfully didn't really. I didn't seek, I didn't seek it out. I really, it didn't mm -hmm. occur to me because it just simply wasn't part of my life, right? Like mm -hmm. I had all white friends, all Jewish. I think the huge community that I was a part of was the Jewish community. And so for me, I kind of immersed fully into the identity of being Jewish and, um, you know, essentially part of white culture um, white American culture that felt like just who I was. And I didn't even think twice about 
you know, the other part of who I, who I really am. Right. And so it gets kind mm -hmm. of, it's felt tricky and confusing because my parents made these kind of attempts to connect me. There was no immediate connection within my, the rest of my life for me to sustain that or pursue that or get curious about that. So I didn't actually independent, independently um, search for connection with Korean culture. Mm -hmm. That's really understandable because as you mentioned, it's, it's almost like, it's like language where if you just learn it one time or you practice it once, you don't really learn or gain anything. But when you have it consistently in your life, that's when you pick it up. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Absolutely. And I kind of, that's one thing that I wish had been a little bit different. And that I, you know, my parents, by the way, are incredible human beings. Um, and they, I think that they did absolutely the best they could to incorporate my Korean identity and, you know, welcome it and support it. But I do wish that they had had more Asian friends or sought out more Asian friends to connect me with more Asian children. Mm. Yeah, it's, I think it's tough too because parents sometimes you just, they just don't know what we're looking for. And at that age, we don't know what we're looking for either. Um, but it's great that they were supportive in other ways. Absolutely. I feel so fortunate, especially now being part of the subtle adoptee traits group. Um, I can see and I'm hearing how many adoptive families have been so hurtful. And that's really devastating to sort of add that additional burden on top of all of the already existing challenges of being an adoptee. Mm, yeah. So when did you kind of start getting more um, active in any adoptee or Korean groups? Honestly, <laughs> probably just a few months ago. I mean, I just remember um, Moses Farrow. So I'm actually part of this wellness professionals group um, of Connecticut for all therapists, psychiatrists, APRNs, um, counselors, any sort of health practitioner. Um, and Moses Farrow, who is also a Korean adoptee and also a therapist, had created this post um, sharing a bit of his own experiences as being an adoptee and, and acknowledging that he feels like he, or not feels, but he is the only um, Korean adoptee therapist, transracial adoptee therapist that he is aware of. And so I immediately reached out to him and, and I said, I'm here too. This is so cool. I had no idea. Um, and so we kind of connected and then he really introduced me to all of these groups. He welcomed me so much into all into this whole community. Specifically, he is part of the Guide Foundation, um, which is also an organization that's essentially a huge advocate for adoptees and mental health um, and just adoption mm -hmm. awareness. So he's it's I owe it to Moses. He has completely reeled me into this community and this world for which I am so grateful. That's great too that you kind of had um, someone to help you through this, like the introduction and like almost show you the ropes and kind of ease you into it. Absolutely. But I will say it like it didn't feel hard because I mm -hmm. finally found people who I didn't really have to explain it to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it yeah. just felt like, and I've never had that feeling um, aside from perhaps like other adoptees that I've met 
briefly and who I maintain some kind of still connection with, but you know, I don't really have any adoptee friends, transracial adoptee friends who are close to me in my life. And so to have this community just feels like a breath of fresh air, a sigh of relief of feeling like, wow, there's a space in which I don't have to explain myself, that there's sort of this natural understanding that just feels really cool. Really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot easier than when people have the questions. And it's nice when they um, are curious and they want to learn, but it can be very tiring. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's some level of it can be a little bit, at least for me, there are moments in time in which I think it's been triggering for me because I'm still figuring it out, right? Or, or like mm-hmm. I'm still figuring out this kind of in-between space. And really now that I'm now more connected to the adoption community, specifically transracial adoption community, specifically Asian transracial adoption community, um, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's helpful for me to still to make sense of it for me. When I say it, I'm really yeah. referring to being what it feels like to be a Korean American adoptee. And so mm-hmm. when people kind of probe and ask questions and get curious, sometimes I feel like you are um, not seeing me. And or I sometimes will feel like, you know, I don't why are you asking me these questions? I would never I don't know. I feel like it just wouldn't go the other way. So I kind of feel othered in that way when that happens. Um, But I also recognize that there's also definitely a part of me that's still figuring that out. So it can be it can be exhausting and also a little bit triggering sometimes. Yeah, definitely understandable, Um, especially as you mentioned, like it makes you feel othered and kind of defined by your adoption when that's not exactly who you are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So do you find that um, kind of your relationship with adoption or maybe some effect that it had on you, is that why you decided to pursue um, therapy? And I remember remember you mentioning in your post that you have a focus on attachment trauma. Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the general answers that I oftentimes give is that, for one thing, I have always been drawn to people. Um, My parents would kind of, or my parents recently have shared with me that when I was younger, I would prefer people over toys. Like I would rather socialize and talk and chat and just be with people rather than play with toys, Um, which makes a lot of sense to me because I am just drawn to people. I'm totally in love with connecting with people and hearing Mm -hmm. people's stories and understanding, you know, where they're coming from. It's definitely you know, been a large part of why I've been drawn to therapy. I also definitely think that my own suffering, my own experiences have definitely influenced my desire to help other people explore their own inner worlds. And specifically with you know, specializing in attachment trauma, absolutely. That has everything to do with this. Um, I think that my capacity to empathize with what that really feels like. And I think that having done my own inner work in that realm has been really beautiful to also know essentially that there is another side to that, right? That that pain mm-hmm. 
is not, you don't have to sit with that so heavily forever that there is essentially another way, which is amazing. And I would hope for any person who carries that to be able to seek out some help because it is possible for healing, that healing is possible. Definitely. And it's hard when you're young because something that happens um, when you're so young and you don't really realize how much it affects you. And in psychology, it's always this trope of, oh, it's all based in childhood. And it sounds um, silly sometimes the way people say it, but it truly is. And you kind of carry that with you for the rest of your life in your other relationships. Absolutely. It is so true. It's like our families, our introduction to this world, it's, it's our foundation of understanding who we are, our relationship with other people, um, what we need, what we didn't get, or what we, um, what we want, right? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And it's also, um, it does require attention. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of one of the nice things about um, the groups is that I've seen people post uh, about, oh, hey, you know, I've kind of been experiencing this um, mental health issue and I feel like it's related to my adoption. How many of you guys like feel the same thing? And then you have a whole like army of comments of people (laughs) relating or sharing similar stories and you feel less alone. You're like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy or weird. Like this is natural and it's okay. Yes. And that's kind of what I was saying with how I don't have to explain myself. Yeah. <laughs> there, like really beautiful, um, also at times really painful, shared experience of essentially there's this primal wound, right? There's this mm-hmm. primal loss of your birth mother, your birth family, essentially your roots to this earth. And that is a loss that we all carry. and it how we carry that and how we cope with that i'm sure it differs among adoptees but i think that a universal truth is that we all carry that right and that mm-hmm. it can be excruciating and i actually i kind of go into just the kind of therapeutic approach that i use that has actually been super healing for me okay yeah um sorry what were we saying before so i make sure i can pick up where we were <laughs> uh, you were kind of talking about um, the primal root wound and how you're kind of, you know, just ripped away from your birth mother and the person who, as you said, ties you to this world and brought you in this world. And it's just something that kind of like, it's it's trauma. It stays with you. Yeah. And then you mentioned um, kind of like what therapeutic stuff you've done in practice that has also helped you. Yeah. I guess specifically about that initial loss is so there's this beautiful approach that I actually was the first therapeutic approach that really essentially worked for me um, that I felt like really got it and it's called internal family systems have you heard of it it's also known as IFS it was founded by Richard Schwartz have you heard of it I have not I actually didn't study too much into um, family psych when I was in college but I'm really interested to hear about this IFS yeah it's really incredible so Essentially, IFS, the belief is that we all have something called capital S self. So that's sort of like our highest self, 
sometimes people can identify it as like the divine within you, um, our higher power, however you want to define that. Um, and self has these eight beautiful qualities. Self is calm, compassionate, creative, with clarity, curious, connected, confident, and compassionate. I don't know if I've already, if I repeated any of them. Um, and then we also have these other parts of us, these other parts of us who are connected to self, but they're actually not all of who we are. So you can have like a part of you that carries anxiety or a part of you that is feeling really depressed, a part of you that can be pretty reactive and rageful. Um, and in this work, we actually get to know these parts of us rather than trying to get rid of any of them. We, mm get to know them and we start to build a little bit of a relationship with them we start to understand you know how long have you been here what is it that you want me to know what is it that you need from me and what we find is rather than you know bringing them closer bringing these parts of us closer rather than pushing them away actually helps them to relax so in that so for example for me I had I definitely had this infant part of me who really carried that loss of being taken away from my birth mother. And I, part of this work too, just so you know, is you, the belief is that we carry these parts of us inside of our bodies. So there's kind of this like mind body meditative experience in which we tune into our bodies. We notice where we carry some of these parts of us. Um, mm -hmm. So if you may feel any tension when you feel a particular feeling, that's, that's really where that part usually lives in your body. And so I actually, in doing this work, I got to build this relationship with essentially baby Rachel. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really got to bear witness to what happened, how she felt, and this sort of like panicking feeling of feeling like torn or lost or and alone and really needing birth mom. And so I. I did a lot. I've, I feel like it, this approach is so beautiful because it really honors what we carry in our life experience and it doesn't try to change it and it doesn't try to put any kind of positive spin. It welcomes what's happened with such compassion and, and love and mm -hmm. judgment um, that I think is really healing. And so for me, I think this primal wound, right, this this part of me that carries this great loss, I've been able to develop a really beautiful relationship with her. And I know this may sound a little bit crazy, right? Because I'm talking about multiple parts and I think we have this tendency to pathologize multiplicity, right? But I actually mm -hmm. think that we are naturally multiplicitous in this way. Um, we're, I mean, like if you think about casually, one part of anytime somebody might say, oh, part of me wants to go out to dinner and go have some drinks. But another part of me just wants to stay home and watch Netflix. Yeah, we're complex beings. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, that's kind of, IFS has really changed my life. Um, and it's actually the approach that I draw mostly from within my own work. But I find it to be really, really healing, especially within all of these parts of me that I carry specifically related to my adoption. I really like that too. I'm, I might look in more into that and kind of approach my own self with it because like you mentioned oftentimes when you have these struggles you're either told like oh you know look at it the positive way um and it's kind of pushing away the struggle and either just you push it down you hide it you don't want to think about it you just don't look at it but this accepts it and it makes it you know it's a part of your life and it is it's part of your story 
it kind of reminds me of this quote that I remember really loving where it starts off with like, on the nights when your sadness comes, I hope you invite it in like an old friend. And it's a longer Mm -hmm. quote, but it really goes into just, you know, sitting at the table with what you struggle with, understanding it, being compassionate to it and yourself Mm -hmm. and just accepting. It's so beautiful. And I think it's actually, if you think about it too, this is kind of an analogy that I like to think of is if you think of a toddler, right? A toddler is screaming, angry, or, you know, having an, I'm going to put this in quotes, right? Having a tantrum, right? Mm. What we find is, right, if you push the toddler away by saying, you know, stop that and putting the, the child in time out, the child just will scream louder, right? And the child kind of feels worse. There's sort of this added layer of shame that gets piled on. But when we bring the child closer, look the child in the eyes and you say, tell me what's going on. The child actually relaxes, right? Now, I think this is also true for us as adults. Anytime we're going through something really hard and you go to a friend and you say, so upset, X, Y, or Z, and friend will, the friend, let's say, a well-intentioned and a meaning friend will say, would say, um, oh, well, just don't think about it. Don't worry about it, right? Maybe you should just think about it differently. Essentially, that, that doesn't feel really good, right? That doesn't feel right. And you kind of mm-hmm. have, you find yourself defending why you're feeling the way you're feeling and you know continuing to feel upset it doesn't actually help the upset right it's almost a little invalidating yeah it can be invalidating and essentially we kind of just want to be heard right so Mm -hmm. the same with parts it's the same with any big feeling that can sometimes feel overwhelming kind of just wants to be heard and so i think that I love that quote that is so beautiful and so sweet because when we actually bring these feelings closer, they actually do tend to relax. Similar to like a toddler, when you bring a toddler who's, you know, is is having these big feelings, when you hold the toddler, bring the toddler closer, the toddler relaxes, right? Yeah, it kind of just makes you melt into something that's, you know, warm and comforting and you get to let go of those feelings almost Um and you're not holding on to that tension and pain and whatever caused the initial feeling. You yeah. recognize it and you just let it be at peace. Yes, exactly, exactly. And sometimes, right, the other piece is we can give these feelings what they really need. So in IFS, for example, when you start to get to know a part, um, you do some of the unburdening work, meaning you, you bear witness to what's happened this whatever information this part of you wants you to know and then you kind of get to know what is it that you really needed during this time period or what is it that you really need from me right now you'll actually find multiple answer they will tell you i just need you to hold me or i just need you to be with me we actually have this ability to do that um internally which is really beautiful to support yourself yeah 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 so have you found this process um, helpful because I know you mentioned that you did reach out to your birth mother and it was a really difficult experience. Did you find it was good to kind of pause and look at, okay, what part of myself is being hurt by this? Why? And kind of go through it that way? Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually wouldn't identify that process as being difficult. I think I went into searching for her 
an awareness and a kind of a sense of calm and especially compassion towards her in knowing that she may not answer, she may not be ready to answer, she may not want to, um, essentially kind of knowing that this is complicated for everyone, right? <laughs> everyone involved. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew where I was going into it that I wanted to connect with her, but I also was open to accepting that she might be in a completely different place. She may not want to do that. She may not be able to meet me there, right? And so mm -hmm. I kind of went into it without much expectation. And actually, interestingly enough, I didn't hear, I mean, I didn't hear from her for a long time. I can't remember how long it was, but it was like a good chunk of time. Because I remember getting the call and kind of being like, oh, I kind of forgot that I did this. <laughs> <laughs> and what's actually really fascinating is during this time in my own therapeutic work, I had gotten to know a part of me that I felt like I was carrying, in fact, my birth mother. I was carrying her sorrow, I felt, and I was carrying you know, this, this guilt that she was carrying a little bit. And, and so, and, and even a little bit of regret that in the IFS work I have, I was during that time going in and essentially talking to her and getting to know her a bit and holding space for how pained and kind of, it almost, it almost seemed like she was kind of self-tortured in this particular way um, that, mm -hmm. I was kind of able to hold space for that and forgive her internally and let her know that I completely understood why she made the choice she did and that she's welcome essentially to stay inside of me too, that I can still carry her. Um, and so it's actually very interesting that when I was doing that work, I heard back from her. Um, I got that call and the call was just saying, you know, she, she like essentially, um, appreciates that I was reaching out, although she's just not in a place and does not feel ready to respond. Um, which actually, when I first heard that, there was definitely a part of me that kind of like froze, that was kind of like, that immediately put up this wall that kind of said, if it could speak, it was saying, which parts can't speak, <laughs> but it was mm -hmm. saying, I don't know you, right? It was saying, you're a stranger. I don't actually know you. Um, mm -hmm. And so there was an interesting like detachment that immediately ensued. And um, I thought that that was also really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like a response coping mechanism. Um, because otherwise, it kind of it feels so personal, if you flip it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually, it's interesting, you asked that, you know, did you kind of explore your reaction? And I don't think I ever spoke to that part of me that said, well, I don't know you. I don't know you. Because I think I also then was able to access this like compassion, also this sadness that she wasn't ready. Um, and I think I also, there's a part of me that's held on to or holding on to a bit of hope that she might change her mind. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. One of the things that I find really amazing just listening to your story is kind of the maturity and peace aspect of it um, that you know, so many of us struggle with because a lot of um, adoptees kind of sometimes never even never come to terms with that because we may not get an answer. And even if you don't, it's just really nice to like think that it is possible to be okay 
with your story and accept whatever situation your birth parents might have been in and understand their feelings and kind of let go of whatever anger and pain and just that hole that you feel and kind of fill it with your own comfort and hug. Yeah. And I think what I love, first of all, I can attribute all of this calm to therapy, (laughs) to my own inner work and specifically to IFS and to my amazing therapist, uh, Lisa Greenleaf. She was amazing. Um, And she, one thing I particularly love about IFS is that in fact, you can be both, you can still have a part of you that's angry. You can still have a part of you that's really sad, that still carries this loss, right? While Mm -hmm. also acknowledging that those parts of you are also not all of you. So I can still hold this self-energy. Essentially, I can still hold compassion towards my birth mother, my birth father even, right? I I know that I have like half siblings that are out there. that I'm able to kind of, it's okay to have all of these conflicting feelings and multiple feelings, right? That it doesn't, none of them have to necessarily actually be resolved in a, in a meaning I don't have to feel calm 24 seven, right? Yeah, that's impossible. Patient, right? The expectation is sort of this like internal harmony in which if there is a part of me that's really angry, I know that this is a part of me and I can talk to it and be with it. I can write with it. I can do whatever I want if for this part to feel really heard by me. And so I think what I essentially is the multiplicity and the acceptance and invitation for that to exist is what has felt deeply healing. Um, And again, I can attribute, I can thank therapy for that. I think that paying attention to our emotional wellness is really important. Yeah, we could definitely all benefit from therapy. Absolutely. Imagine the world we would live in if everyone went to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a much more understanding world, (laughs) much more patient. I hope so. so. (laughs) (laughs) And kind of what you're describing almost reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've seen it, the movie Inside Out. Yes, absolutely. It makes me think so much of that where you have your like core self and then on the flip side, you have this, the self that, you know, happens in moments and it's not, you're not defined by those moments and those moments can have a mixture of feelings. Yeah, exactly. I actually like to sort of sometimes in sessions or when I'm introducing IFS to somebody else, I'll mention that, that movie, which I love because you could see what I also love too is essentially it's like these parts, right? So the anger or the, the sadness, right? It's true that we have these life experiences that'll, um, you know, trigger a reaction. And so when we carry that, I think what I love about IFS is that, sure, you're still going to have parts that are going to react, um, but the heaviness and, and kind of the weight of how much they react, the intensity of their reaction can shift when you get to unburden a lot of the life experiences that they're still carrying, right? Because we can get triggered by something in the external world when it actually runs a lot deeper, right? I'm not fully just reacting to what you're saying to me. I'm also reacting because Mm -hmm. I've seen this before. I felt this before. And that was a really scary, awful time. Does that make sense? Yeah, I definitely understand that. Um, It just, it goes back to like what we were saying. It's just really the understanding of it and not just shoving it away. Actually, as you said, talking to it. Yeah. Welcoming it. Absolutely. 
So this is kind of off topic, but uh, a little bit close to the topic. What was kind of having, like, what was entering motherhood like for you? The kind of emotions you experienced or just like thoughts you had prior to planning a baby? Yeah. Um, and I actually checked in with my husband to make sure that it was okay that I disclosed a little bit here. <laughs> um, but actually, my daughter was unplanned, expected. And when I found out that I was pregnant, it was conflicting within my relationship because my husband was not ready at the time. He, in fact, really um, did not want to have a kid during that time. He, he definitely didn't, again, didn't feel ready. Um, and so mm-hmm. for me, I think adoption has played a huge role in my decision-making with this is I wanted to have a baby, um, hugely because there was a part of me that feared that I would deeply regret it, um, because it felt like an opportunity to have, to have someone who is related to me, right? Who is, when I say that meaning blood, blood wise, right? Yeah. And it felt kind of, especially because another interesting thing here too is I discovered that I was pregnant right when I heard back from my birth mother. And so for me, there was something here that felt like it transcended. It's like the universe talking to you. Yeah, that kind of felt like a full circle moment. I really, really just... I could not bring myself to aborting a baby. I, I, it didn't feel right. It didn't sit right with me personally. And I think my adoption 100% played a huge role in that decision-making. Yeah, definitely. Because it's, it's like that could have been you almost. Yeah, and I think too that in this, I think there's also something pretty incredible in that like pretty early on and as soon as you find out, like there's this immediate kind of connection that feels like there is this sacred being in my body right now that I am, I want to care for. Right. I, and so I think I held, I actually felt really, really compassionate towards my birth mother and not, especially like as my pregnancy progressed, right. I could not imagine having to make a decision where you had to, leave your child, right? Like the kind of bond mm-hmm. that is created during pregnancy is it's indescribable, right? You can't, it's incomparable and indescribable. And I cannot imagine if my mother, birth mother at the time had any kind of already known awareness that she would have to place her child for adoption. I can't imagine how painful that must have been. Yeah, it's, it definitely seems like um, it kind of connected you to her because, as you mentioned, you get to feel her feelings and really see where she was coming from. And it connects you back to, like, your story. Yeah, yeah. I like to think so. I, of course, don't know what my birth mother was feeling fully, right? I can mm-hmm. I can really sense from my own perhaps fantasizing, right? But just experiencing that was hugely um, definite, like you said, connecting with my birth mother. I felt so much compassion and appreciation and gratitude and kind of awe towards her courage to make that kind of decision. Yeah. 
And it's that thought of like, for the better of the child. Yes. Yes. And the other piece too, for in thinking about that, for the better of the child is when I found out I was pregnant and having to make, I kind of, there was a period of time where I was going back and forth because of course I didn't want um, to make a decision that was like completely selfish or that would really hurt my relationship or that um, just, you know, could be disastrous, potentially disastrous, right? One thing that I could fall back on though is that my, I have such a community of people who are there for me and would be there for me for anything. So there was kind of this awareness too that even if I had to raise my daughter by myself, I wouldn't actually be by myself, that I would be in a village of people who love me and could support me and would be there. Thankfully, oh, what ended up happening is my husband met my daughter and fell in love. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. cute! And, and even though we had a lot of um, difficulties during my pregnancy, he stayed right, and he, you know, he our relationship has been through a lot, but we have always found a way to find each other and stay with each other, which is. Um, really beautiful in a lot of ways and, and pretty romantic in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. yeah. But he he stayed and he was there when I was in labor and in the hospital. And the minute he met her, you know, I think there was a defining moment when I asked, do you want her to have your last name? Because I was still kind of unsure as to where he stood. And he said, yeah. And for me, that was like, okay. <laughs> It almost felt like, all right, we're in this and you're here and you want to be here. It was like a claiming of fatherhood, I felt, parenthood. And I yeah. just, yeah. And, and it's, it says a lot because I really wanted my daughter to have my last name. <laughs> <laughs> His last name is like super long and hyphenated. Um, but that, that sacrifice of her not having my name felt so deeply important that I was like, all right, of course, this, this was important. This was an important moment. <laughs> Mm, yeah, it's like your husband's full acceptance of, I'm here with you. We're going to, ra- this is our child. Yeah, yeah. And I think also, too, like she's mine, right? That, that this is this is also my, my, my child, which I think the majority of my pregnancy was, okay, my child, right? For me personally. <laughs> I mean, you are the one carrying her for nine months, so... That's true. And pregnancy is also, by the way, 10 months. Nobody tells you that, but it's actually 10 months. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The time of conception. Yeah. Difficult process, but it definitely seems very worth it, especially when you have that beautiful experience of the connections it creates between you and your husband, connecting back to you and your you know, baby self, you and your birth mother, and this new connection that you have with your daughter. Yeah, exactly. You've hit it spot on. It was deeply connecting, a deeply connecting experience. And I think I have a lot of gratitude for having done my own therapeutic inner work prior to getting pregnant, um, because (laughs) I would imagine that all of those feelings would be very different. Um, And so thankfully, I feel like I was able to kind of 
hold a lot of compassion and space both towards myself, towards baby self, towards birth mother, even towards my husband at the time, though there were definitely parts of me that were angry. (laughs) Um, Understandably so. Yeah, yeah, and scared, yeah. Of course, he's, you know, he's also his own person and he has every right Mm -hmm. to feel how he feels too, right? So have you thought about it or have you kind of even had like some small questions that lead up to this of your daughter asking, oh, you know, why do we look a little different or why does no one in the family look like us? That's such a good question. And you know, what's so funny is, um, so she watched the movie Kung Fu Panda. And <laughs> I love that. And uh, yeah, well, it, I think it was like the second one um, where the story of Kung Fu Panda's um, adoption <laughs> is made apparent, right? So his um, mm-hmm. birth parents, essentially, because they're in the midst, there's warfare, his parents have to place him in this safe space and hope for the best because otherwise, if they if they kept him around, he could potentially die. And so Bailey got curious about that. My daughter's name is Bailey. And she got curious about that um, she was asking me questions about that. And that was a moment in which I explained adoption. And I also explained that I was adopted. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So she kind of understands it a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Like she's aware that I essentially have two mommies, right? I have one mommy in which whose belly in which I grew, right? Mm -hmm. And she was not able to take care of me, even though she loved me very much. Um, And so, my other mommy, right, the, the <laughs> mommy that she knows, right, was was able to take care of me. So she is my second mommy who takes, who has loved me and cared for me, and she's the person who I call mommy, right? Um, so yeah. she she kind of gets that there are two, and sometimes when one parent cannot take care of a baby, that another parent could take care of the baby. I I really love that you know, there are these children's movies and people may think it's simple because it's children's movies, but it's so useful for kind of telling a story. And so this way your daughter understands something that's very complex and she can relate and see what your side and your story is. It's like, it's like with Inside Out, like anyone can relate to that. Yeah. Yes. Children's movies can be so profound. <laughs> yeah. And I I also, I did seize it also as an opportunity to sort of call out or identify that, yeah, I look different from Mimi and Saba and, um, and Daddy and that, like, she is a blend of both me and Daddy, right? And so mm-hmm. starting to have also those conversations about, even about race, too, right? Yeah. Um, but it was a Kung Fu Panda. Thank you. It was an opportunity, a wonderful learning opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I got to remember that for when I have um, possibly have a child. Yeah. I mean, this movie, I mean, it, it's, it's a little intensive and there's definitely a part of me that's like, you know, did I introduce Bells to um, movies that were a little bit intense for kind of a young age? Um, but, you know, something I'm also still figuring out. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's kind of um, hard 
at any age, honestly, to decide when's the right time to have these kind of conversations. What I think we are finding out, um, and even in conversations about race, is that starting early on is really important because I think kids kids pick up on differences super early. Um, mm. Even in two, three, they can identify and start to favor things and certain people. And so picking up on biases, right, but also exposure is really important, right? So what kids are exposed to, what becomes their norm, what they see, um, highly influences how they view themselves and also other people. So I actually yeah. think that I would say it was definitely an opportune time and also an appropriate time for Bales to have that conversation. Because um, I'm, you know, she, I think you're right in that, and I, and I don't know what's going to happen, but she probably will have questions um, for which I'm happy to start to introduce this story to her so she can understand. Yeah. It's really great that you're super open at the start because it's kind of like what your parents did for you that you had any questions and they answered your questions and armed you with the information for you to tackle your story, tackle the world and understand people in general. And I definitely agree with you on starting starting teaching early because as you mentioned, people kids do pick up these habits and these thoughts and that's your way of the world. That's what's normal to you. And that's what's acceptable to you at that time. Totally. Totally. And I think, too, when we do that, right, when we start early on and we are honest and truthful and open, what you're also doing is you're creating a safe space, like a safe home space, home base yeah. um, for the child as they grow up and as they have more questions to come back to, right? So it's it's safe to ask these questions. It's safe to be curious. I know that my parents will be open and communicative should I, you know, have questions, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that that foundation is important um, in the beginning because, again, it's just clear that it's okay. Yeah. And I think it also kind of goes into whatever she ends up having to deal with, any emotions or troubles or whatever happens in her life, she knows you can come to, you can go to your parents and just talk it through with them and kind of have someone who will listen and understand and be compassionate. That is the hope. That is my highest hope. (laughs) Of course, I don't, you know, we'll see how that pans out, right? And we know, of course, at least I know in my adolescence, that was not the case. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you can't always predict that. (laughs) Oh, definitely not. But that's the hope. And she said something really cute, which is funny to me. The other day she said, Mom, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Can we talk about it? (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so adorable. I thought to myself, okay, daughter of a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Um, I think she's more emotionally aware than, like, my 30-year-old sibling. <laughs> <laughs> um, she she may be, and I think that that could be true for, I mean, so many of us when we are not, A, taught that our feelings are safe, or B, taught mm-hmm. how to kind of express our needs and talk about our feelings. Um, so I definitely was mindful and have been mindful of, you know, making sure that that is, you know, a truth that she can live in, that her feelings are totally valid. It's okay to, to feel how you feel and that it's okay to express them sometimes. And I'm here to listen. I'm here to talk to you. Yeah. 
and to help identify some of those feelings too because sometimes it's just so confusing and you have no clue what's going on but then when you talk to someone it starts to make sense absolutely absolutely i've learned that bailey so like if she's feeling hurt like emotionally hurt mm-hmm. she recently started to say something that i think is interesting she says you and dad are not helping me which <laughs> oh. which means essentially like my feelings are hurt what you just said was hurtful and i don't feel seen and i need to feel loved right now because <laughs> mm, yeah. I like melted into that i was like i i could see that she had kind of like a tear in her eye and i could understand what that what that four-year-old version really meant right that that sentence meant yeah yeah seeing between the lines and really seeing your child seeing a person yeah 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 so a lot of the stuff you've shared has been so helpful and just really amazing to kind of hear your story and the things you've learned and picked up on the way before we close out i kind of wanted to see if you have any recommended sources for adoptees to check out you know books blogs artists um really anything that you found super helpful on the way like ifs I would definitely recommend Internal Family Systems IFS to anyone. Um, I think it's a really beautiful approach that um, has the capacity to tr- to really heal. Um, but also, if that approach doesn't make sense or feel right to you, I would strongly encourage therapy in general. It's just really, if you find the right fit, it can be really, really transforming. Um, so I would recommend that to anybody. I also, so as you know, Alia, I am new to the adoption community, but here are some of the resources that Moses has passed on to me and groups that I'm now a part of that I feel like have been really helpful. Um, so I know you've, we've talked about the subtle Asian adoptee traits group, which I would highly recommend anyone to, any adoptee um, to join. Um, there's also, I've, I learned that there was a specific subtle Asian adoptee trait for also people who are over 30. Um, which is me. <laughs> um, I don't think I've been accepted into that one yet, but I know that that exists. Also, there's groups. So for me, in Connecticut, the Connecticut Korean Adoptees Group, Surviving Adoption Group, also for the Love of South Korea is a group that I'm part of. Um, and also for any Korean American adoptee wellness professional, there's actually a CAD Wellness Professionals Group. Um, so that would be KAD Wellness Professionals. I know that some of these are exclusive to Korean adoptees, um, but definitely the Subtle Asian Adoptee Traits group has been really, really um, special to be a part of. Um, I also had mentioned earlier that Moses Farrow has been a huge advocate um, for adoptees, and he and a couple of other um, colleagues or friends or adoptees, I I, I suppose, I'm not quite sure how they identify themselves, but they started the Guide Foundation, and that's G-I-D-E, the Guide Foundation, which is they're starting to like, um, they're, they're kind of like an umbrella for everything related to transracial adoption. Um, so mental health, um, sharing stories, um, just community in general, education, psychoeducation. Um, there's another platform called I Am Adoptee, which is another um, organization also advocating for adoptees. Um, the Korean American Adoptee Network. And also, I really loved on social media, um, Jessenia Palmer's or Palmer's I Am Adopted. So she has an Instagram and also a Facebook. 
and she posts some really, um, really great information and essentially kind of like these memes or these um, that, that just really call out the challenges of being adopted, especially transracially adopted. So, um, yeah, those are that's all I've got for right now. They're very helpful um, references that you uh, brought in. And even though, like, as you mentioned, they are Korean, a lot of them are Korean focused. That's still amazing for listeners because it's still a community for them. And I hope that's like kind of the goal of this podcast is that, you know, we're all from different countries, but we can all relate to a general story and we can all find the community that fits for us. Yeah, yeah. I would say that the most helpful, you know, thing for me as an adoptee has definitely been this newfound community. The community has, its it almost feels like this is what I've been searching for my whole life. <laughs> so I'm so grateful to A, be invited here to be with you, Alia, and also to for you to have found me in the Subtle Adoptee Traits group. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, first when I saw your post, I was like, oh, I really want to like hear her story. This sounds so interesting to me. And then I paused and I was like, I hope she's not going to think I'm weird for just reaching out all of a sudden. It's like, hey, I read your story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Not at all. I felt so excited. And I, like, told all the people who I love, I was like, oh, my gosh, she wants me to be on her podcast. That's so cool. <laughs> Aw, that's yeah. so cute. You're, re- you're really such a sweet and warm person. I can oh, imagine that you. any clients or any anyone who talks to you just feels so happy afterwards and accepted. Oh, thank you. That is so, so, so kind of you. And I really feel that in my heart. Thank you so much. Thank you. And it was such a pleasure talking with you today. Yeah. And honestly, truly back at you. You are you are so sweet. And I felt so I feel so comfortable talking to you, even though I was really nervous in the beginning, but you've made it really easy. And so thank you. Thank you for being you too. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad it kind of um became more comfortable and just a, you know, a casual conversation. Thank you, Rachel, for joining us on this episode today. It was amazing having you on and we, I'd love to have you on for another episode and hear more of your story. Thanks for joining us today. Tune in next week for another episode. If you're interested in participating in one of these episodes, please email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to join our Instagram family at somewherebetween.fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next week.